You're listening to The Common Good Show, a show designed to inform, inspire, and empower our listeners and entrepreneurs. Whether your goal is to live your best life, achieve business success, or foster a safe and healthy community, we bring you a holistic approach. And now, here's your host, Juanita Farrow. Welcome to The Common Good Show with host Juanita Farrow. And boy, do we have an exciting show for you today. Have you ever felt like you just wanted to get away, to escape, and to just live your life by seeing the world? Well, this is the show for you today. I want you to sit back and I want you to listen to this show. We're talking today to Judy McCandless. Now, a little bit about Judy. Judy had an administrative career in three university medical centers and finally as a contract manager on a major U.S. Navy research and development project in Silicon Valley before her retirement. In midlife, she and her husband abandoned stressful corporate careers to cross the Pacific Ocean in their sailboat. And last year, she published a memoir called Workaholics Adrift, Transformation in the Pacific Islands, which she calls life-changing. Help me welcome to the show today, Judy McCandless. Welcome to the show, Judy. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your having me on, and I have enjoyed your past shows. Well, thank you very much. It's kind of you. I am so excited about the show today, and we just want to jump right in because we have so much to talk about on this adventure. First of all, what caused you to abandon a successful career? in order to travel. I mean, you you have this wonderful career and everything is going well. I suppose you're doing very well and you decide to leave it all and travel. How did that come about? Well, I think for many of us, it takes a crisis to cause change Mm. in our lives. Uh, Some of those are negative, unfortunately. And ours, uh, we started rethinking our lives uh, on the sudden death of a 42-year-old co-worker at, at our same age, in our 40s. Um, mm-hmm. And that let us see the future of stressful jobs ahead for us. And so John and I chose a six-month leave of absence at first to find a more meaningful life or just some freedom. Mm-hmm. We both had sailed, we learned to sail as kids, so we decided to sail our boat to Mexico and back. We were living in the San Francisco area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we loved the freedom and the lifestyle, and we did that for six months and then sailed back and returned to work. And three years later, we committed everything to a longer trip. Oh, wow. So you knew after that trip to Mexico that this was what you really wanted to do. Yes, Yes, it was a very big change in life, but I, I felt more confident and more um, willing to go ahead with something new. Well, certainly that takes a lot of courage to do that. 
So wasn't this lifestyle a huge change of life for you? I mean, it had to be. This is something totally different, and you're having the courage to to do that. So tell me about that, this lifestyle. Yeah, it certainly was, uh, absolutely. And I look back now and wonder, (laughs) but... Um, it was definitely from the fast lane, uh, a very workaholic, uh, stressful uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. We worked fi- 50, 60 hours a week, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden into the slow lane. And um, it was not all pretty sunsets when we, when we started out. The first leg, uh, we had a lot to learn. Our 33-foot mm-hmm. sailboat, and offshore, um, off the coast of Mexico, we f- fought a terrible storm. And our marriage was also tested, but it strengthened as we worked together. Um, in in um, a summer break type of lifestyle, uh, my alcoholism became obvious, and I returned to work to a rehab lockup, another big change in life. Wow. So what are you saying? Are you saying that being out, um, you know, on in your travel, in this travel mode, and that slowness of that, how did that impact you? Oh, the um, the slow lane. Yeah. Well, from from the yes, the life in Silicon Valley, it was we it was very impa- We were very impatient, uh, and mm-hmm. certainly when you're on a sailboat, you're traveling at about five miles an hour, and. <laughs> Then when you go to Mexico, it's uh, everything is manana. So yeah, it's yeah. like you can't operate that way. So it forced us to uh, change and to, you know, slow down. And we by doing that, we learned a lot about the people and the cultures and the, and the other sailing people. Wow. That's fascinating. And, you know, and certainly – we do live a very fast-paced life in, in the United States. It's very, it seems to be many times very competitive. It's go, go, go. And it's difficult sometimes. I, it, it's just even for myself, just going on a regular vacation, it takes the first couple of days for me to slow down and get into the mode of, you know, things are going to be a little bit different now. You're not working. You're, you know, you're trying to relax. It takes a few days to even unwind. So, I can I can understand all of a sudden you're in the slow lane and you know it's so different than what you've experienced in work. Wow, this is really fascinating. We're going to take a short break now and we're going to come back and we're going to hear more from Judy about her new memoir also Workaholics Adrift Transformation in the Pacific Islands. You've been listening to The Common Good Show, and I am your host, Juanita Farrow. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with host Juanita Farrow. Today, I'm talking to Judy McCandless, and we're talking about workaholics adrift, transformation in the Pacific Islands. And Judy, I wanted to ask you, at, at this point, now, you've... You've been out, you've experienced what it's like out on the water sailing, and this has caused you to slow down a little bit, but you've dealt with things while you're out there. You talked about your terrible, the bad storm that you went through. I can't even imagine what that was like. And then also, you know, coming back because resurfacing was, 
you know, the, the alcoholism that you had experienced. And so you go into rehab. And I think at that point, most people would have said, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, that change was too great for me. That experience was too much for me. I just need to go back to what I considered, I guess, my normal, which was the day-to-day work and some security there, I guess, is what most people would think. But you weren't ready to quit at this point. So what, why didn't you quit? Well, we were so inspired by our, um, our leave of absence, our six months, which actually ended up to be seven months because uh, we were late getting back. Um, but we had such a great taste of freedom, having our own schedule, and the joys of the, cult, the cultural interaction in Mexico, the people we met. Mm. We, we both just wanted more time to travel. So we, we set a, a, a goal for the next three years and planned for extended travel. And we would do this with, in, in our own boat, which took care of our costs of um, uh, hotels and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not having that, those expenses. And it was relatively cheap to travel, too. So... I had, during that three years, we took classes, and I gained a year of sobriety finally before we took off on another two-year journey, which is the one where we crossed the Pacific to Australia. Oh, wow. And, uh, but uh, I, my, my philosophy, I guess, now is that if you're staying entrenched in a place that you think is secure, is no real guarantee of avoiding hurt or pain. In fact, venturing out, I think... Confronting life provides you confidence and inner resources to deal with future challenges. And I think staying safe stunts your growth. This really opened up the world and and my whole interaction with it amazingly. Oh, wow. That's just amazing. It took you two years to cross the Pacific Ocean to Australia. So in that two years, you're stopping along the way. I mean, how how does that work? I mean, two years. Obviously, you had to plan it very well, and you knew exactly how far you wanted to go. Is that what you did? I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how did you plan that? Yeah. Well, we we first uh, stopped in Mexico again which was familiar. We became more familiar with, we, we uh, actually bought a new boat because we sold our house to buy the boat. We really uh, committed fully to it. And that was our, that was our guiding goal. It's, it, I think it's important to commit to a goal and be willing to save for it. And I um, was brought up that way, that you had to save for what you wanted. And I always worked hard toward that. But I won't lie, we, we say it, we, for two years we sailed 3,000 miles across the ocean just uh, from Mexico to the Marquesas, the first of the Polynesian islands. Mm-hmm. And the book talks about the different islands and the different cultures. But the, yeah. the sailing was, sailing across the ocean, I could imagine Magellan or some of the early explorers, we went 28 days with no sight of land. Uh, now that takes <laughs> that takes a little. In, in, well, we we did a lot of research on doing this. It wasn't just okay. sailing into the sunset. 
But I feel like fear is often just due to lack of information, and like how a boat can sail on an angle without tipping over. And so uh, while planning, we learned a lot uh, about navigation, provisioning, and operating the boat, which is, you know, which takes some planning and some experience with that boat. So in the transit, we certainly had the fear of the unknown. Um, We were uncertain as to whether we could find food or fuel in these very remote islands and places. But as we solved each issue, we became more confident in finding solutions. And the locals helped a lot. We had to ask for help. Mm. Well, you know, apparently you both started with good jobs. You're working, you know, great careers. And but and most people would say, I would love to do something like that, but I simply cannot afford it. Um, so I'm asking you, how, how could you afford to be away uh, for two years, for example, without working? I mean, how, how does that work? How, does, how, how do you go about even planning for that? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a good question. I often get the, question, or the comment uh, that people say, you were so lucky you could do that. You could go for two years without working and support your, um, and with nothing, to, no income coming in. And, mm-hmm. and I just kind of laugh and I say, um, I mean, sympathetically, and say, well, it really isn't luck. We'd spent three years saving money. We downsized. We lived in a small apartment. We moved out of a house, and we cut back on a lot of our luxuries, if you will, our vacations and things like that, so that uh, we were saving quite a bit of money in those three years. I... Um, I was able to do that. I was used to doing that, I guess, because I supported myself in my 20s when I first started working and um, had roommates and things like that. So there are ways. If you have a a goal that you're really going to work for, you can do it. You can do it. And I think that's a really, that's a good point, is when you focus on what it is you want to do and you develop the goals uh, to do that, you can do it if you stay focused on, on that goal. And many times it's hard for people to do that. But I think for others, it's, it's fear of the unknown. Because, you know, when you talked about being out there in that storm, I mean, there was a terrible storm that you ex- experienced. And then there was another point where you went with 28 days without seeing land. I think that kind of fear, even though we face things every day in our day-to-day lives, we're sort of used to that travel to work sometimes can be just as dangerous on the highways or in planes. But it's fear, oh, of, that, it's fear of that unknown is what you experience. So, um, so, so in that storm, did you, in the midst of the storm, what, what was happening? What were you thinking at that point? I want to talk about that. Uh, well, that was the storm off the, on the first leg, the leave of absence which was totally unforecast. We were just below the border into Mexico, um, Baja. And it it just came up uh, right out of nowhere. It was a tornadic kind of thing. And the book describes it in the first chapter, in fact. That'll really get you into... One lady said, oh, oh, I got a little seasick in that chapter. (laughs) But it it was part... Certainly it was fearful and... Yeah, I can imagine. But it sort of, 
if I we said if we can survive this, we can survive anything. We can cross the ocean. So that was uh, within very almost within sight of land. That was ten ten miles offshore. But I think you you mentioned courage. I think courage. Um, it comes with experience, and I think yeah, if you, you know, yeah. take baby steps and you go out and you try something and you really right. like it, it becomes a, a, an obsession and you can, you can do what you want to do. Wow, I love that. Courage comes with experience. I agree to that. It's taking small steps and starting there. I want to talk about how this impacted your faith, um, the spiritual awareness that you gain from this experience. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that impacted your faith and your spiritual experience? Mm-hmm. I, um, I recognize that as workaholics in Silicon Valley, John and I had let our church lapse, and we, uh, friends we had through church we had kind of shied away from. We just didn't have the time working 60 hours a week or 50 hours a week. But once we got into the island, even even in Mexico, the islanders just drew us into their Christian practice, and they rekindled our faith just listening to their stories and how and, and realizing how they lived. Mm. And uh, also in mid ocean, it was amazing uh, with no artificial light. The heavens just surrounded us with thousands of stars, and I felt so small in the midst of nature's glory and fury that can come, but in the presence of, of the Creator, it gave me chills. And mm. another part of my trip here was the serenity prayer, which I learned mm. in my recovery with AA. The serenity prayer was critical in my road from addiction and uh, being away from my support groups there. The serenity prayer asks us to accept the things we cannot change and change the things we can. And that helped me so much all the way through. Well, that's, that's an incredible experience that you have, that, that connection to, I guess, to the islanders and how they were able to somehow rekindle that faith. And I've also found, too, that, you know, travel, especially when you go to places and you meet people many times who have nothing and they're happy, you know, they, they're, they're very content with what they have. So, you know, happiness is certainly not based on how much we have um, because, you, you know, I've traveled a lot myself and gone to very remote places like throughout, you know, the continent of Africa. And, you know, what I found is that people sometimes when you talk to people, and they seem to be very content in their villages and, you know, with, with the life that they have. Um, and so they don't know any different sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you, you look at all the stuff that you have and, and realize that the stuff is not what creates the happiness. And so it's, it's really interesting that you would say that it was the islanders and being there that helped to rekindle your faith. And I also think, too, that the nature, because, Many times that spiritual connection comes with the greatness of, you know, this world that we live in. And when you look at the universe and you look at the stars and and you think about the creation of all of that, it does make you feel small, I agree, and uh, in so many ways. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We found out that 
as we tried to slow down, mm-hmm. we learned we had a better experience when we just learned not to force mm-hmm. our ways and our culture on yeah. the natives. That, I love that. I love that. And, and we would make an effort to follow the local customs, and they would gain respect for us. <laughs> and that way we were able to share and participate in their unique lives. I just learned so much patience and compassion from the islanders and people from other countries. Isn't we made friends. Enough? And, yeah, we, 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 when we observed and focused on our similarities and not our differences, that's just like you say in your book, The Common Good, to build bridges with love. And that was so wonderful. Mm-hmm. We helped them with things, and they helped us with things. Wow, that's amazing. I wish we could do more of that because that's where we need to meet each other, meet each other where we are, and, and find our similarities and the things that you're exactly right that uh, we have in common and not focus so much on how we're different because we're all different and we have different ideas and different goals and desires, but we have so much in common. And if we could just focus so much, especially now in our country, if we could focus so much on what we, what we have, uh, our similarities and, and not our differences, I think that would make a world of difference. So thank you for that. I love culture and that's why I was really fascinated by how that had impacted you, those, uh, that cultural awareness and, and some of the challenges, but it sounds like it was a very good experience. Well, it was. And, in fact, the book, will, there's a, a chapter that talks about how I saved a man's life there um, wow. just because oh, wow. we were carrying uh, antibiotics from Mexico. It, it was, that's just one of those things that you can do, yeah. but they're isolated. They have no clinics or anything in some of these islands and yeah. um, and so it's good it made me feel so good <laughs> but there was there were some uh, some surprises as a result of that so that's that's another issue in the book but definitely mm-hmm. uh, being a traveler traveler versus a tourist um, having the time to actually live there and um, mm-hmm. You're forced to interact with locals for common needs, and mm-hmm. social interaction and the understanding is what changes and broadens our broadened our attitudes and priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. So I wanted to ask you, besides the sailing, which we, we're hearing about now, your extended adventure sounds like a lot of work and, and risk. Why was this? more beneficial, and you're talking about that now, why it was more beneficial than a two-week vacation. Mm-hmm. And I think you alluded to, to much some of that. Well, you know, I, when I, I remember when they first started in, school, in schools and colleges having um, uh, students take uh, time off to volunteer in another country, and they still, they've expanded mm-hmm. those things. That is so, so important, I think, based on my experience, because the real benefit of travel is immersion and connecting with different people, having mm-hmm. the time to just contemplate their ways versus my ways. And I picked up on a lot of their ways as being important. And the similarities certainly were there. Everyone's concerned about their children and how they're doing and their their faith and, you know, getting enough to eat and 
and mm-hmm. clean water, and those are so basic to us. We just assume that's taken care of. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, 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 it caused me to have a lot of more gratitude for what I have mm-hmm. in my country. So as a tourist, I think, you know, there you just go for a week or two to take a break, and as you said, it takes you a while to, to un, unravel uh, from your stressful work. But as a tourist, you just have all the details are worked out, so that leaves little opportunity to contemplate what kind of life there is in a place you're visiting and be able to learn mm-hmm. from it, whereas mm-hmm. somebody that a traveler is forced to interact for common needs, mm-hmm. so they interact mm-hmm. more, and that broadened our attitudes. And you're exactly right. It, it, it definitely is a life-changing experience. So I want to talk to you about what happened after you arrived in Australia. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we went through the islands uh, for several months, several months and up to, it was actually two years of travel. At that point, we were broke, and we didn't want to get into uh, serious savings that we had put aside for a major repairs or something. So we, we left the boat, and it was time for the boat to have maintenance anyway, so left left that in Australia. And we flew back and took mm-hmm. a tiny unfurnished apartment with a mattress on the floor, and we worked hard for a year. And it was interesting because West, Westinghouse hired me back as a temp through a temp, you know, to mm-hmm. my same position mm-hmm. as contract administrator. and. I was able to help them out with experience with that company, so it worked out for all. But then uh, we returned to the boat, and we spent nine months in Australia and met a lot of other amazing characters, and that's that's distri- described as well, and learned a lot of history, too, as we go. But it, the book describes uh, the deep friendships I made with other recovering alcoholics as well and an eye-opening AA meeting with Aboriginals, and which was incredible, very spiritual. Oh, really? And from Australia, we moved, mm-hmm. we visited uh, Papua New Guinea and many other primitive islands in Micronesia, and then we settled mm-hmm. in Guam for three years. So you stayed three years in Guam? Yes. I bet that was an incredible experience. Yes, um, we were almost three years in Guam. We both got jobs there. It was kind of like a frontier. Uh, I worked for an Australian construction company, and that was a wild experience with Crocodile Dundee kind of characters, and that's described (laughs) in my book. Oh, wow. Um, But there I developed a lot of confidence and a deep sense of gratitude again. And based on the cultural uh, awakening, I wrote Workaholics Adrift to encourage people to actually to go now and follow your dream and especially do it while you're able, physically and mentally. <laughs> and um, I think that avoids regrets in old age. So I say don't put off for retirement. The book's epilogue is actually heartbreaking because our, we mm. had no retirement. Mm. Yeah. Wow, so, this, is, this is amazing. It Very did good. change me. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I can see how it would be life-changing. Um, so what is different about, what do you feel is different about your travel memoir? Because lots of people probably write about experiences with travel. What's different about yours? Hmm. Um, the, it's a true story that describes, as I say, my personal growth. I was hmm. a workaholic, an addict, and a self-centered loner, really. I uh, became a more compassionate caregiver which was I was when I was called upon to be a caregiver. And these mm. changes occurred via clashes in my marriage, addiction and cultural interaction because of the travel and because of getting out into places that were different, strangers and that sort of thing. I gained much more wisdom and sought a more balanced life that way. In fact, the, the Virginia Gazette um, did a review of the book, and they said it, they described it as an inspirational and highly personal adventure. Really? Well, congratulations for that. Wow. Um, and and you know, and I, I also want to thank you for being so transparent too, um, in you know, in your personal life with your the experiences that you've had with you know. Um, alcoholism and and just the healing process because it sounds like this travel was very healing for you yes yes I was I was so grateful that we were able to put this together and of course my husband has since passed away and I was caregiving for him for over 10 years and that's Mm. also what got me working on the book because I had kept a journal uh, a month uh, almost daily journal, and did, in fact, it did a newsletter for friends and family as we were progressing. So I had lots of information that way. I think if people run or write a memoir, uh, that's a, a good thing to do is start with a journal. Wow, that's a great idea, certainly. Well, look, we're we're going to take a short break, and when we come back on the show, I want you to talk a little bit more about the memoir and your experience in in getting it published, because I know that's not something that's necessarily easy to do. Um, So we want to talk about that. And then I want you to talk again to the listeners out there, someone who might be contemplating doing something, maybe not quite like this adventure, but something even on a smaller scale and finding the the courage to, to go forward with that. We'll let you talk about that. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow. Exciting show today. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Don't you go anywhere. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with host Juanita Farrow. And today, what an exciting show this has been. So, Judy, I wanted to ask you um, about your the memoir, and what was your experience exactly in getting this memoir published? I mean, obviously, you, you've written the memoir and you want to get it out there. So tell me about the, the publishing experience you have. Was it easy to, to get that done? Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different roads you can take, I think, as I've, I've found. <laughs> I, as I said, it took me probably over two, over. I guess 12 years from the time I started writing the book while I was caregiving for my husband, as I mentioned. 
Mm. I used the journals that I'd written during my travels, and I uh, also did a lot of research online for background in the places where we visited. For instance, the World War II, the Pacific War in Guadalcanal was one of the um, most spiritual experiences. I, I don't know what to call it, but it, was, it, it really shook me up to be there uh, where the wars were fought and that particular mm-hmm. place, which was so traumatic. And then mm-hmm. um, I, uh, as, I, as I wrote the draft, and I actually transcribed my journals and then did the research to fill in. But I also, in the meanwhile, was attending some local writers' workshops, conferences, uh, had at the time I was living in South Carolina. And I, those were very, very helpful. And I joined a little spin-off group of, of women in my town in Beaufort, South Carolina, who were uh, working on their uh, uh, books. And at the time, then, I learned a lot from them, and they, we critiqued each other. And then with the, work, uh, the workshops, uh, I learned, I took different workshops on just, just topics like storytelling, which mm-hmm. is fascinating, and have to have a structure to your, to your story. And that's where I found an editor who helped me with putting, sorting it out and putting it together and getting it finished. Uh, and there I kind of got stuck because I was told, I'd read, oh, you need, an, you need to get an uh, a, uh, agent to get yourself published, and you have to do this. You have to write these letters in these particular formats to get the interest of, a, of an agent who will support you through finding a publisher. Well, I spent, a, I'd say at least a year, maybe two, <laughs> trying to get through that idea of getting an agent and, and getting a big-name big publisher. I, I, I just uh, I found that was too difficult. I had, no, I had no background in being a media giant or a, uh, a big blogger or anything. I didn't have any experience, so I just decided to look into some of the self-publishers, and I found the one I used was Book Baby, and it's a it's a one where you can do a package deal uh, from cover to to marketing, or you can do a la carte. You can you can take a piece at a time, but they did a wonderful job for me. And there's mm-hmm. there's several that do that. You have you know you have to research it a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. how I I I found a, that self publisher. I had lots of questions, and mm-hmm. finally uh, I let them let it, let go. I let the manuscript go. That was tough too, to because I really wanted to. I wrote the book because I wanted to encourage others to step out mm-hmm. a little bit and you know uh, test yourself. And do something good, and it really is going to change your life. Mm. In fact, um, because I you know, went to these workshops and all, I was thrilled because one of the Amazon reviewers, you can go to my Amazon page for Workaholics Adrift, the one reviewer wrote, it reads like a good novel. And mm. that was so gratifying to hear mm-hmm. that. Wow. So that that's kind of the story of how I would say you know, if you don't have a lot of, uh, if you're not a, uh, a movie star or something and <laughs> can yeah. attract a big audience that way, 
um, it, you're just a little a regular person, kind of like I am, and you, that's the, that's fine to go that way. And there's different levels of expense for those two. And so, how can listeners find the book? Oh well, nice of you to ask. Uh, I have a wonderful page on Amazon, and it's uh, it's published both in paperback and digital. And the uh, Amazon, of course, has you can search uh, by other similar travel memoirs, etc. But there's a nice uh, summary of the book on Amazon. You can also mm-hmm. get the book at Barnes and Noble and Book Baby, which is my publisher, and um, at uh, the. Um, oh, I wanted to say the. Um, the ebook is now on sale this month for 3.99 and it, that's the Kindle version but you can get it also through Barnes and Noble on their Nook mm-hmm. they're able mm-hmm. way to convert it so i would say too it's a wonderful gift as we're looking ahead to christmas for yeah. travelers who are um, are and you who are going to get out of your um yeah. being a, <laughs> an armchair adventurer and get out there and do it Wow, that is so exciting. Now, what would you say? I know there are listeners out there that have listened to your story and this adventure and this life-changing experience you've had, but a very spiritual experience also. What would you say to them right now? Well, you know, people would say, oh, you have so much courage, I couldn't do that. And I Mm. think think you need to, I, I call it, Take baby steps. If you're interested in something or to find what you're interested in, really, mm-hmm. find what really turns you on, um, get out there a little bit. Each uh, uh, Talk to somebody who's done what you've done or is you know, in that position that you want to be in. And, and just do a little bit at a time until you get feeling that that's your, that's your area you want to pursue. And, and then just go for it. It's, it's not... Uh, I think courage is, maybe you haven't ever been called on to use the courage, but I think we all have courage. Just getting through a few years of, of living in this world, especially mm-hmm. now with um, pa- having patience with the co- co- COVID-19. So I would say try, try out a few things and ask for help and just go for it. You know, you're so right. Um, and when you said courage comes from experience, uh, I absolutely agree with that. Sometimes we don't know the courage that we have until we've mm-hmm. been put to the test. And then we realize how strong we really are. Judy, mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be on our show today. This has been an incredible experience. I felt like I've taken this journey with you, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad really you travel too. And so you, you, you can relate. It's, it's yeah. a wonderful, a wonderful thing to do. It really is, and it is life-changing. I absolutely agree with that. Thank you so much again for being on the show. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, and best of luck in your future shows. I will be tuning in. <laughs> thank you so much, Judy. And mm-hmm. thank you, our listeners today, for joining us, The Common Good Show with host Juanita Farrell. Great show today. You can catch us every week on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. 
WDJY 99.1 FM in the metro Atlanta area outside of Atlanta, WDJYFM.com. Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning into The Common Good Show with host Juanita.